aren't I a good guy? I was supposed to be away today. <laughs> but let me pray over you, buddy. Father God, I just want to pray over Andrew. That was quite some verses there, Lord. But as Andrew will share, our own, uh, our own acts of parliament can be just as confusing sometimes. Um, but I want to pray over Andrew today, Lord. I pray that your spirit speak through him. And I pray, Lord, that you uh, calm his nerves and, and just uh, let your word flow through him, Lord. Open our ears to hear your word and convict us, Lord, uh, of what it is that you're sharing with us this morning. We lift him up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I grab a stand? That'd be great. Thank you. It's a bit sort of undies, undies, private parts. Hmm. <laughs> try not to be too irreverent this morning. Tenakoto Katoa. Uh, ko United Kingdom Aho, Ko Bennett Toko Whanau, Ko Andrew Toko Ingua. Uh, Morena Church family and our extended family, because they're not just yours, Naomi, they're ours. Uh, I was born in the UK, but um, I call the Hutt Valley home. I'm from the Bennett family. My wife is Kerry, who spoke a few weeks ago, no pressure, um, and my children are Kate and Etienne, and her husband, Campbell and Zach, but we have lots of kids, brothers, sisters, mothers and family uh, and fathers in this wider church family. So this morning, Exodus 20.22 to 22.15, part of the book of the covenant, a promise, part of the first five books of the Bible. The Israelites are at Mount Sinai. They've just been given the Ten Commandments, as Charles spoke of last week. We're now looking at a set of laws, the start of a set of laws given to the Israelites uh, by God through Moses. Moses is standing in front of a thick wall of darkness receiving these walls, these laws. The nature of these passages means that there's going to be some overlap between each of the speakers over the series, but that's actually quite good. There is, of course, a theory about getting a message across requires telling it seven different ways in seven, sorry, seven different times in seven different ways. I'm going to cover one of those this week. I'll leave the other six up to Richard for next week. Uh, given uh, his own history of sport, and being the father of an absolute Olympic legend, Nick Willis, I'm guessing you should all bring your running shorts next week. Let's get into it. I suppose I better get the clicky thing out. Turn it on. Okay, so Charles, as you noted last week, is a researcher. I'm a software architect. Bit of a leap, you think? Um, I've worked on a number of government projects, so this probably explains why some of those systems are so confusing to use. Um, these are some of the themes of the verses that Rob so eloquently read out to us. Uh, this started off as a mind map. Um, Kerry and I have uh, been telling Zach many times when he's faced with some difficult essay do a mind map. So I ate some of my own dog food and did a mind map. 
it went through a bit of a reorganization, as you can see, a bit like some of those government departments I've worked for, and a bit like them, it added no value whatsoever, but <laughs> looks nicer on my CV, I think. We're going to charge through from bottom right down here, clockwise around God, ending up on the main theme. And I'm guessing that cross up there probably gives away the main theme. Uh, right. Worship and commands about how to build an altar from natural resources and no steps. So it starts with the main theme here. As the Ten Commandments did, it starts with God. There are no pictures of God. There's no visual representation that we have of God today. We know from images of Jesus that he was a curiously white man with blue eyes and blonde hair, living amongst a very dark-skinned people, probably with very black hair. He must have stood out quite a bit, I'm guessing. But there are no actual pictures of God a voice from heaven and a thundering presence that as Charles pointed out last week terrified the Israelites but no pictures no idols no worshipping our perception of what God is and what he does no pretense it's worship stripped down to the bare truth to simply honour his name how freeing is that? This is the altar upon which the Israelites were to journey. Out of one way of life, dominated by masters who forced them to give everything they had, to another way of life where they are wholeheartedly giving to God. We stay joined to this sacred aspect as we move into the more secular laws. Slavery, laws about freedom, seven years, and wives. Tough subject, and I am not going to justify slavery one way or the other. At the same time that God was giving the law to Moses, back then, he was also at the same time watching us today looking at these laws. It's a cool superpower. So there's no excuses about how times have just moved on. God sits outside of time. There is, of course, the context of the realities at that time. For example, you could become a slave to cover a debt that you could not pay. Now, I'm not saying that that's the same as social welfare, but you did move from a situation of eating, working, and sleeping with a large debt you couldn't pay to another situation of sleeping, lots of working, still eating, and no debt. Slaves, Hebrew or foreign, had to be treated humanely. Slave owners were actually punished for severely injuring or killing slaves, or the slave could go immediately free. Even foreign slaves could partake in Passover, all slaves could enjoy the Sabbath day of rest. And, of course, there was freedom for the Hebrew slaves, the males, after seven years. 
there was this aspect of treating others as yourself in Exodus 22:21. next week do not mistreat or oppress a foreigner for you were foreigners in Egypt for those who weren't here over the previous weeks the Israelites have been rescued out of Egypt where they were all slaves and they've been this is the story of the parting of the sea and so on and they've been brought out to Mount Sinai where they're now being given the law families of slaves were preserved intact and you could start a family whilst a slave by taking a wife the all through the ear into the doorpost is uh, it's quite interesting eh the commentaries that I read had sort of vague notions of how that paralleled with some of the um, the the blood on the above the doorway uh, during the early part of Exodus all these um, wounds that Jesus received but um, it could be uh, could be maybe introduced into modern marriage perhaps uh, sort of two for one deal <laughs> you, know, you get an ear piercing and a marriage just like that so slavery and I know I have brushed over this fairly lightly but it was a solution to certain realities at that time but Israel's slaves while not free enjoyed a better life than we see in the people groups around them and than we see in any of the situations of slavery that still exist today so it would have been another mark of the difference between them and the people groups around them treatment of women another tough subject they weren't to go free after seven years if they were brought into slavery now women going into slavery was generally about being sold into marriage one tough subject to another so again what are some of the realities at that time and uh, you'll notice Kerry that I found some peas as well Kerry went through a bunch of peas a couple of weeks ago protection so this, these are some of the realities of life at that time these were really important things protection generally provided by the men production both men and women procreation I'll let you work that one out for yourselves if you weren't heavily involved in one of these three P's then you weren't being useful you were either poor or you were a pastor no. No, sorry. that came out wrong and, and after the effort I've had to put in to this sermon which may not look like it I can understand the uh, effort that's required uh, and of course I've ended up with five P's so the Levites our pastors in this model were focused on that main event God the beginning and the end and quite a bit in the middle as well but if you weren't protecting producing or procreating or being a pastor then you were poor you were poor you were starving poor as a woman you needed to be married to have independent fulfillment in your life it sounds a bit weird it's interesting just an interesting note on chores well, I found it interesting anyway uh, and yes generally performed by women and modern appliances from uh, researchers Gershuni and Attractor Harms 
In the 2000s, it took about an hour 50 minutes to um, complete your chores. 25 years ago, it was about two hours and 40 minutes. And in the 1920s, it was about four and a half hours. A rough calculation suggests that for Hebrew women in this time, they needed to start their chores about five years before they were born. <laughs> so getting sold into marriage was a pathway to significance. Even as a sold wife, a slave wife, you had all of the privileges of a full wife and the pinnacle of your role being a mother. You're also very involved in a sixth P, partying. Oh yeah. Festivities, Passover, celebrations, slave or free, a wife is a wife. Um, I've got some pictures here, um, obviously. Um, let's see, on the far left-hand side, this lady's obviously not very happy with the latest smartphone that her husband bought her. Coming across here, some, some form of ancient axle and wheel from a tractor, I'm guessing. Um, this lady here appears to be looking at some junk mail about shoes and a group here looking, uh, working out what their next blog is going to be. Um, some people are going to go home a bit confused from this sermon, I'm guessing. It's all part of the plan. It's going to force you to go home, go back through the whole sermon. I think it'll be online, and you'll have to correct all of the mistakes that I've made. Um, that calendar there, the top uh, right, uh, the one that looks like a pizza. Mmm, pizza. It's nearly lunchtime, isn't it? I guess. And all these peas aren't good for a man of my age, I can tell you. <laughs> each, each wedge, each of those wedges is one of the months of the year. It's from the, it's from the medieval times. I couldn't find a calendar from uh, back in that uh, Israel, Israelite time. And each month has a whole bunch of activities that had to be performed during that month. So, uh, you know, you've got things like planting, plowing, fertilizing. I like saying that word, fertilizing. Um, and winnowing. What is winnowing? Anybody? Hands? Threshing. That's explained it for me. The, <laughs> grain? Grain. Thre getting the grain out of the... Thank you. Thank you. Lucky we've got some people who know some farming terms. Um, it's just another example of what life was like back then. The whole, your whole life was dictated or um, filled in by the activities that you needed to perform uh, just to get through that day. The festivities were slotted into those different months of the year based on what was happening out in the fields. Your role in life wasn't just important, it was life-giving. And God sought to protect that through the laws that he gave. There's a whole lot of laws um, about injury to people, to animals, to property. I'll just a quick aside here that might be worth talking about the relationship between God and sin. There isn't one. It's like matter and antimatter. God can't abide sin. It's like there's nothing that he can do about that. It separates us. So all of this story is about how he's brought us back to him, despite our sin. 
There's a real indicator of God's nature here. There's the absolute around outcomes. If somebody has been died, a penalty has to be paid. If there's an injury, a penalty has to be paid, even if that injury is to a slave. The slave's personhood was still maintained. But there's also that personal element. What was your intent? What did you know about your bull? Why did you do something? These things were important to God. The cities of refuge for unintentional manslaughter. And the fact that if you did know that your bull was actually quite an obstreperous animal, then that meant there was a different punishment. Breaking into someone's house at night versus the daytime, obviously at night everybody's asleep. All your kids are in the house. All of your standard protections are down. You are going into a house and doing something illegal at the time when it's at its most vulnerable, when there's the highest risk of injury and death, and the penalty is correspondingly high. The aspects listed in these laws are important. As Rob said, there's a lot about bulls. But um, this is actually really important. These things are your livelihood. Your bull or ox or field that kept you eating the next day, the next month. So these things that the laws talk about, we're talking about the really important things that were going on. This is not quite the same as your second car getting dinged up. It makes a difference. And note also that the role of mother and father, between mother and father, is not distinguished here. They're both as important as the other. The injuries against your parents here are apparently severe injuries. We're talking about striking forcibly to injure or even to kill your parents, to revile your parents through cursing them to the point of wishing God's curse on them. It's absolute hatred that we're talking about being expressed here, verbal harm. There are a lot of, there are not a lot Apologies. There are not a lot of specific principles that any of the commentators that I read felt were worth bringing into today as a lesson, per se. Some of the parallels are simply not there anymore. But the need for restitution does carry through to today. For victims to be restored to the state that they were at before the crime. But generally no more than that. An eye for an eye does not allow a personal vendetta to be carried out unchecked. There is a limit. Last two slides. Main point. I'll let you read the cartoon. Can you read the cartoon? You can't read the cartoon. I can't read the cartoon either. You're filthy. I'm going to paraphrase here. Oh, you're filthy. Get into the bath. He jumps in the bath. I, uh, I follow the letter of the law more than the spirit of the law. She yells up the stairs. Let's hear some water running. Oh, nuts. He says as he jumps out fully clothed without having... He got in the bath. <laughs> he met the letter of the law. Now, um, various scholars have noted the similarity between the 613 odd commandments given through Genesis through to Deuteronomy uh, 
uh, and other legal systems that existed at the time. That's what that word contemporaneous means. And yes, I did have to Google it to make sure I got it right. There was the Sumerian Code of Ur-Namu, Babylonian Code of Hammurabi, and they predated the law of Moses and had some striking similarities, like an eye for an eye. It's a reason for some to suggest that they were laws were originally given by man and not by God. Of course, there's a few problems with that. God also created Ur-Namu and Hammurabi. Our very nature was built in God's image. So, duh, of course they're going to be similar. You like that? God's law started, uh, and, and the similarities between these laws and the law given to Moses actually helped to highlight the differences. God's law started with and ended with him. The offenses were against God. Punching the person down the road who stole your bread, never had a kind word to say to you, was, a, was justified in these other law systems. But when that offense is seen as being against God, then you deal with that person in a whole different way. God's mercy, another difference. The cities for refuge for unintentional manslaughter, allowances for mitigating the punishment based for, for a particular outcome based on what your intention was. Many of those other laws had the king as the final arbiter. God was the final arbiter in the law given to Moses. So what about some of our contemporary, current-day legal structures. I had a look at how many laws we have. I couldn't find a number for New Zealand, um, but there are 1,288 acts under the letter M alone when you organize all of the acts uh, by the alphabet. The US of A, for example, has enacted 30,000 statutes since 1788. So it's pretty clear that the Israelites were going to struggle to apply the letter of the law, other than taking a bath, in each of the situations they found themselves in, unless they did quite a bit of work uh, beforehand to achieve that. What do you mean you hit them with a chair? I have laws for hitting them with a fist and a stone, but not with a chair. Sorry, can't talk to you. What became clear as you look at the laws in New Zealand is how contextual they are to life right at that moment. Lots of bull laws. That was life at that moment. Interestingly enough, when I jumped in and had a look at some of the acts for New Zealand, and I just basically went to uh, A and M and Z. There's no acts under Z until we get more zebras and zeppelins. There's, so I went, had to go to Y. I just looked at the first couple, and here's what I found. And, and an interesting connection. A couple of them are connected to agriculture. Um, and uh, have a bunch of people here from Wanganui, very close to the farming life. Uh, hands up here if you're connected to the farming life. A couple of hands going up. By the way, if you had breakfast this morning, you're probably connected to the farming life in some way, etc. Okay, here's a few of them. From the A's, in 1895, an act to amend the Abattoirs and Slaughterhouse Act of 1894, only a year later. It's like they lay the tar seal and they dig it up again the next day. One amendment was to replace the words large or small cattle with the word pigs, which I guess goes to show what happens when lawyers start writing the, the law using farm terms. Another was to exempt an abattoir from being inside the half-mile boundary of Dunedin City. My in-depth historical research, two minutes with Google Maps, leads me to believe that this was the source of an abattoir in the Burnside suburb of Dunedin but it also flagged up Otago University as a slaughterhouse, so I'm not too sure. 
I moved on. From the wise in 1999, not a moment too late, the year 2000 Information Disclosure Act was written, designed to allow information needed to resolve the Y2K bug to be disclosed. Um, perhaps many of you will not know about the biggest non-event of the century, <laughs> but per the, per the act, information could be disclosed on a floppy disk, something else that many of you will not understand, particularly because these disks did not appear at all floppy. <laughs> Where, okay, in the M's, in 1974, the McDonald Adoption Act, an act to give an interim order of adoption made on the 24th day of May 1972, so this was two years earlier than the act was written, in favour of Andrew McDonald and Grace Jones McDonald as adopting parents of Donald and McDonald. Whew, a lot of Donalds there. Such force and effect as it has been a final order of adoption made on the same day. Um, it's very, very specific law uh, about the adoption of a particular individual, presumably because Donald uh, couldn't be adopted two years earlier and for some reason that needed to be recorded that way. But my favourite act, the Margarine Act of 1895, including the fact that it shall be the duty of every manufacturer of margarine to cause every keg, box or package containing margarine to be distinctly branded and durably branded or marked margarine. On the top and on one side in printed capital letters, not less than one and a half inches square. Before the same leaves his premises. Just shows the power of the dairy industry, I'd say. There's also this. The governor may from time to time appoint such inspectors and other officers as he deems necessary for the administration of this act. So what do you do? Well, I'm a duly appointed margarine inspector. Open your fridge. <laughs> so, contemporary laws. What about the New Testament view of the law? Because, of course, Exodus, Exodus is in the Old Testament um, prior to, to uh, Jesus coming down to earth. There are a few, several interpretations. Uh, the law is redundant. Romans 10.4, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ replaces the law. The law is worse than redundant. 2 Corinthians 3.6, he has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Other interpretations are that we should follow the law. Ephesians 6.2, honor your father and mother. You hearing this, Naomi? Which is the first commandment with a promise? In other cases, it's follow the principle of the law. 1 Corinthians 9 9. For it is written in the law of Moses do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes, winnowers, should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. At the end of the day, the journey the Israelites were taking was from moving from one experience to another with God, and the laws were part of that story. Charles noted uh, last week that the Israelites may have known the Ten Commandments 
as the ten words, the Decalogue. So God gave us the word, ten of them, in Moses' time. John 1.1 in the New Testament. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. We're talking about Jesus. God only deals with absolutes, with the absolute truth. It's not about us. But then he saved the Israelites before they had the law to bring them out and to be with him before they were right with God. He saves us before we are right with God. I became a Christian at university. I was in the middle of my science degree. Um, and God met me where I was at. For me, science explained everything. But through conversations with various Christians about evolution and the nature of existence, I know, a bit weird, that's me, and I would have to, to admit, just dipping into the Bible, I was struck by the Word and how it explained me and how it explained the world around me. So God gave them the word, 10 of them, 613 of them, if you want to be exact, to keep saving them anew every day. He saved them, he rescued them, and then he kept saving them. As long as they kept their eyes on the giver of the law, not just the laws themselves, because that way leads to death. And he gave us the word, the word made flesh, to keep saving us each day. He gave them the law, the words, to show how different being one of God's people could be to the people groups that were around them. And he gives us the spirit so that we too can be different and thereby bring others on the journey with us. It's like he's saying, did you see what I did there? Did you dig deep enough into his word, both written and sacrificed to save us, to really see what he did there? And here endeth the sermon for today. Thank you for listening.